Welcome to First Turn, where we play board games for the first time and discuss our immediate reactions. It's like book club, but for board games. I'm Kiwi, and with me is BP. Hi! This week we're playing Versailles 1919, designed by Jeff Engelstein and Mark Herman, who also did Fire in the Lake, Churchill, Empire of the Sun, and Washington's War. The artists were Donald Hegarty, who did 1960 The Making of the President, Commands and Colors, Napoleonics, Labyrinth, The War on Terror, and 1989 Dawn of Freedom, and Roger B. McGowan, who did a billion other games, uh, most of them published by GMT. The game description. On November 11th, 1918, in armistice halted the killing field that was the war to end all wars. To make peace, Woodrow Wilson of the United States, David Lloyd George of the United Kingdom, and Vittorio Orlando of Italy were hosted by President George Clemenceau, Clemenceau of France and Paris. Clemenceau. Clemenceau in France and Paris and sat down to write what would become the Versailles Treaty. The treaty was signed on June 28, 1919 after six months of acrimonious debate and bargaining between the great powers. The player who writes more of the treaty prevails in this contest of wills and national agendas. Mm -hmm. Can you save the world from the rise of nationalism? Can you make a better world while satisfying your domestic electorate? Play Versailles 1919 and relive making the flawed peace that was the Treaty of Versailles. The mechanics were area majority influence, auction bidding, in-game bonuses, events, negotiation, simulation, solo solitaire, sudden death ending, and track movement and the box art is uh the photograph of the big four in front of the uh doors as is normally whenever you look at the treaty of 1919 uh Clemenceau uh with his big mustache uh, and then you have Lloyd George and the Italian prime minister discussing off to the side and Woodrow Wilson in his ever um, tails, he always wore tails uh, off to the right. Um, so it's a, a realistic scape. Uh, Versailles 1919, maybe kind of newspaperish, but not much to account for it. Yeah, and then it says the 100th anniversary because the goal was for this game to get right. published on the 100th anniversary of the signing of uh, the treaty. Um, when was it published? Uh, it didn't actually get published until 2020 by GMT okay. Games. So I think they right. missed it a little bit, but that was their goal. Right, right, right. right, uh, right. Yeah. So with that, would you pick it up off a shelf? Yes and no. Um as an historian, I'm very captivated by World War One, and not for its battle or even the treaty treaties agreements. We should say plural. Um, and by anyway, I'm going to save that for my history. Uh, all of that fascinates me to a certain extent, but like. There's not much grabbing me on the actual uh, cover itself since it's just so realistic. And then the description makes it so almost also like very war gamey. But I can wait and say why I decided I wanted to play it. No, that's, that's where we're at right now. Okay. Would you pick it up? Uh, I did actually ask to order it because... Was it Ludology? Uh, yes, I think so. I think so as well. 
And the idea of the game mechanics in it, which I believe one is you don't actually know who you're playing. Or was that a misunderstanding or misheard? I think you misheard. I think what intrigued you was the way that they went about the unrest in the different regions. Right. And I think it was not necessarily an episode of Ludology, but it was replaying some of the game tech that mm. uh, Jeff Engelstein did for the Dice Tower that they re- replayed, republished on the Ludology podcast feed. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I'm intrigued by that because... When I think about the treaty, I think about the process, and I think about how misinterpreted it is afterwards. Having that type of understanding seems very intriguing. Yeah, um, I'm always interested in Jeff Engelstein stuff. He does a lot of like very thinky type um, talks on board games and different things. We actually saw a great one at a Dice Tower live event several years ago where he talked about uh, how you can change how you phrase things and it will adjust people's answer. So you have some... Um, words have meaning. Yep, words have meaning and then it can change people how people feel about things. Uh, based on how you word it. And then his game tech series was uh, one of my favorite pieces because he actually then created a uh, mailing list where he talked about that in like a longer form uh, email type stuff. So yeah, I think I would pick it up. The box art does not definitely does not jump out at me, but the topic, you know, Mm -hmm. your traditional war game, it's two people, two belligerents fighting each other where this is the war is over and now you're trying to figure out the piece so it's uh, very different in terms of uh, it is and isn't topic. Yeah. So, uh, so how do you think it's played? Uh, uh, if it's anything like the topic itself, uh, chaos. Uh, the board in front of me for those who do not see us, and I will try to snap shots and post them. Um. Looks like on one side of the board, we have, like, the room where it happened. Um, And on the other are counters. Um, We have cards. So we're going to go in political action. So unlike a war game, which is just about area control, right? Usually. This is political maneuvering. So we want to gain influence, hence trackers on our right-hand side of the board. Um, For our, I'm assuming there's going to be cards that tell us what we want to maneuver that influence towards. And so we get to decide as players, and I'm seriously, I'm not reading my cards right now. I'm just going on (laughs) concepts alone. We want to gauge based on the cards that show up on the board, what type of influences we want to push forward. Right? Like our agendas, we want to use our influence to push forward. So like in 1919, colonialism, imperialism, not a dead issue. And so let's just say we are Great Britain. We're Lloyd George and we want to be like, yes, Germany can no longer have colonies. However, 
However, we'd like to take over the Middle East. So how do we push forward that agenda? I don't know. You're the one telling me how the game is played. Yeah. No, that's how I'm saying. We use our influence, which we've got cubes and circles that will indicate our influence that we can use at some point. Okay. How'd I do? Um, honestly, I stopped paying attention because you never get them right. So, the I really don't have anything for this one. It's just the Treaty of Versailles. No. Uh, we're not going to, obviously history itself however um in it i wanted to take a couple different spends one reiterating that like most students when i present this sorry the heavy sigh is because most people are like ah well this reparations clause blah 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 and they just see like the whole 1919 as a prelude and historical context and what we try to do in history classes is not be like, hi, you with your 2020 hindsight, what did this end up doing? And that's what I'm hoping this game actually also ends up doing is takes us out of what we know and puts us into what was the situation on the ground and why did these people make these decisions? And so one thing that you had said in the introduction, Kiwi, was it was an armatiz. By the way, that language and having words have meaning means armatiz. It's not a surrender. It's a ceasefire. It's a very different thing from a surrender. Okay. Right? So think of World War II, unconditional surrender, right? Okay. Countries went in, took over, remade. However, you don't get that in 1919 because the allies who were actual victors, not just in a ceasefire, they had negotiated, they had the upper hand, right? Like if things had drawn out, allies would have won hands down, but they continued to use the word armities. Okay has a very different meaning. If you're a loser and you're like, we just signed an armatiz, we didn't actually, you know, we're not losers, we didn't surrender, has a very different meaning. So when people were like, the Germans were all this and that, like that's step one. They were never told their government surrendered. Okay. It's huge, by the way, because words have meaning. I'm not going to go on to that, but even the choice of Versailles and Paris was not the first choice. So a lot of these things are very contextual is what I'm trying to get into. Uh, one of my firsthand accounts, um, the reporter who was in charge of it had actually already booked places in Geneva because they thought that's where the conference would end up happening in a place of neutrality as opposed to a place of a victor. Um, but the French who were, and most Europeans at the time, you have to realize that this war was the first big war since the Napoleonic Wars that Europeans had gone at it. So they looked at the peace agreement process in the very same light as the uh, Vienna Congress of 1814-1815. 
And so um, part of what took place in between those points was, of course, the rise of Europe, um, Germany as an empire and the Franco-Prussian Wars, which, of course, led to uh, a signing of a treaty in Versailles uh, with France being the losers, which is why Versailles and Paris was chosen as the place for this conference, because everyone felt poetic justice was like needed in this context. Which sounds really awful in hindsight, doesn't it? I mean, it sounds very human. Sure. Anyway, that's... I'm not going to go on much more because I feel like that sets up kind of the not very well planned or set out, even though there were like 140-plus meetings between all of the top four Uh, In the end, it really was those top four who negotiated much of the treaty, even in an age of expanding democracy. You have to realize, like, at this time, uh, democracy was still a little fledgling. The big counterpoint was not necessarily imperialism, but was communism. And so... uh, there was a lot of pushback. Um, so I'll leave it at that. Okay. The players take roles as the leaders of the major powers negotiating the Treaty of Versailles at the end of World War One. Players will have to deal with unrest and happiness at home while achieving their national strategies and making sure that the treaty meets their nation's goal at the end. The nation with the most points is the winner. The four playable nations are the United States, France, the United Kingdom, and Italy. There's also kind of a fifth uh, Japan because there are some strategies that mm-hmm. want uh, Japan to sign. Uh, and so they need to be a certain level of happiness in order to sign the treaty. The first player is randomly chosen, uh, but could have been last to visit Versailles or the last to sign a treaty. Um, so we'll just do it randomly because I'm not sure uh, either one of us... Uh, I mean, you probably are the last to visit Versailles, would be my guess. Okay. So you'll go first. Okay. All right. The available countries vary based on the player count. For a three-player game, the players would play as the UK, France, and the US. In a two-player game, which we're doing, the players play as the United Kingdom and France, and then they both collectively control the United States. So on a player's turn, uh, you must take a mandatory political action, Uh, And you can also take an optional military action. They can go in any order you want, but you have to do the political action. So you can do your military action first if you desire. There are three possible political actions. So you can select one uh, that you're able to do fully. If you can't do all the uh, items that are within that action, you can't do that action. So the first one is place influence. So you're a Place influence cubes from your available influence on exactly two issues that are either on the table, so there's a spot on the board called on the table, or in the waiting room. So this represents the issues that they were deliberating on that day's meeting, and in the waiting room denotes issues that were basically on deck or about to be uh, discussed. Uh, You must always place at least one influence cube And at the end of your turn, you must be in the lead. So you must have the most influence cubes on that uh, card. 
So if the United States has three and you want to take over that issue, you would have to place four of your available cubes in order to be uh, in charge of, or uh, in the lead of that issue. So if you don't have enough influence or you can't place it on two cubes or two cards, you can't take the action. So the next one would be reclaim influence and military. So there's an exhausted influence and military box on the board. So you can take up to six influence cubes from the exhausted pool uh, and bring them back to your available pool. And then if you have any military units there, you have to take them back. Uh, and you can also take back any deployed units. So if you have a military unit that's deployed to a region, you can also pull that back. Uh, in order to take this action, you must be able to take at least one influence or military unit. Then you can, the last political, the last political option is settle an issue. So you're going to select an issue on the table, which there will always be two available, with at least one influence on it, which doesn't have to be yours. Uh, if you're unable to do the other two political actions, so taking back exhausted influence and military units or placing influence, you have to settle an issue, uh, even if this isn't to your advantage. And so they will, they will take the following steps. So the player with the most influence uh, resolves it and puts it in front of them as a resolved issue. The current player then gets to choose the next event that comes from on the table to go, or from the waiting room to on the table. The active player then selects a new issue to move into the waiting room, and then they get to decide the new event card that goes into the uh, waiting room as well. So those are our three political actions. You have to take one of those in your turn. The two possible military actions are you can deploy. So you can place a military unit from your available military units into a region. Uh, there are five uh, regions, Europe, the Balkans, the Middle East, Africa, and the Pacific. Uh, you, it has to be in a region that you don't already have a military unit, uh, and it can't be in a space that's occupied by somebody else's military unit. Uh, military units are going to help uh, keep unrest down, but you can also use them uh, during an uprising uh, to gain uh, issues. Uh, and then the other thing you can do with military units is demobilize. So you can demobilize a unit to increase uh, the the happiness. And as units get demobilized, that happiness will uh, the amount of happiness that you get will go down. So as time goes on, uh, it'll make them less unhappy. Uh, but once you demobilize it, you never get that military unit back. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, no longer usable for the rest of the game. At certain times, a region may go into an uprising at which point a settled issue from that region, from the player with the most settled issues from that region, will go up for auction. Players will use their influence in any military units they have in the region, with the winner getting that issue and choosing one of its options. So if it was your issue and you win the auction, to you get to basically pick another option again from that, that card to gain its benefits. After the first uprising, players will go in low to high score order and select a strategy card that will provide in-game scoring. 
So negotiations are allowed in the game, but no exchange of game materials is allowed. So mm. I can't give you an issue mm -hmm. and I can't give you influence and vice versa. Mm -hmm. But we can verbally agree. Yep. So it's very apropos. Yep. Any condition that would occur during the current player's turn is binding. So if it's your turn and you agree to do something mm -hmm. and it's still your turn and you're able okay. to do that, you have to do it. Okay. But any future agreement, so something that would happen in a future turn, is not binding. Okay. So I could say, hey, I will not put a unit in the Middle East, and then three turns later, right. I could put, put a turn. Yeah. Right. The game ends when the rush to the finish issue has been settled, or the player wishes to take an issue from the draw deck, and there is no draw deck to take an issue from. Uh, the game ends immediately. Players will earn points from the settled issues they control. Any strategy tokens that they have, met, they have been put on issues during gameplay, their, their strategy card, and their national happiness. The player with the most points is the winner. In case of a tie, the player with the most happiness. If it's still tied, it goes to the player with the most controlled issues. And if it's still tied, the victory is shared. And those are most of the rules. Oh, geez. Well, let's get negotiating. Let's play. We just finished up a game of Versailles 1919. Uh, and to recap, BP had 49 baguette points. <laughs> uh, and I had 66 bangers and mash points. I think I'd prefer baguette and fromage to bangers and mash, just personally. Yeah, me too. I love bread, though. So. Mm -hmm. um, my strategy, so I was trying to use the U.S. to make sure that I could pick what they did to benefit me as much as possible. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I tried to, to put a lot of more of my influence in the waiting room and then try to draw those down onto the table. Cause there were some big, like big fights down on the, the yeah. actual, like the ones that were on the table that I was like, I just don't have the influence to fight over those. Um, yeah. So I guess that was my strategy. Okay. Uh, do you have a strategy, BP? Absolutely. I wanted to liberate as many countries as I could. Seems like a good policy. <laughs> just, just generally all just, around. I, I texted my friends in the middle and was like, I'm turning back time and giving everybody independence. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so theme, did you feel like you were at the negotiating table for a treaty? <sighs> It's hard. As much as I say I was trying to grant people independence, um, I was trying to win cards that allowed me to do that. But since I didn't, I mean, I did feel like I was negotiating because at the end, I feel like to a certain extent, it came down to compromise, right? And it came down to throughout the mechanics... And I don't think this is one where we can separate things into the easy boxes, right? Yeah. I, I do feel like the way we played the game did get into that thing. I'm just going to stop at that. Yeah, I didn't feel like that a whole lot. Uh, and I think it might have been the two-player experience. Mm -hmm. I feel like this game really lends itself to me needing a lot more negotiation. Mm -hmm. Um and there were some times where we were like we were saying the names of the issues we were you know poking fun at 
you know, oh, I gave Korea to Japan and I gave mm-hmm. Shantung to Japan, mm-hmm. like all stuff that we know didn't happen in real life. So it was kind of like I, I granted joke. independence to so many to Syria and Arabia. Yeah, exactly. That, but in the in the end, I, I felt like it was just a worker placement game, and I was just placing workers on mm-hmm. the spaces that I wanted. So I felt like maybe the you theme, were much more. In, I was much yeah. more Euro gamer and a lot less like looking at it from the historical aspect. So I didn't feel like the theme was as strong as I would have liked to have been. Mm-hmm. But but I think that was because of just the way it plays at two players. We'll, okay. get, we'll get into that in a minute. Okay. Uh, table presence. Oh, okay. So immediately upon putting out the board, because I put it out before you even came down to set it up, and I was like, OMG. And now that you say Euro, it... That is the word to describe it. The board is uh, clear-ish, but definitely it's uh, it's got your trackers on one side, your cards on the other. It's a big layout as well. Um, this is not going to fit easily on a coffee table. You definitely need a dining room table uh, and a big one at that that's going to seat six people versus just the four that it plays max at. Um, yeah, it's, and it's not like the cards are all that interesting. They, the cards themselves are clear, but, uh, there's a, I mean, it's a lot. It's not very interesting. It looks very Euro-y. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think, um, this is one of those things where like, I'm going to guess that a lot of the photos they used on all these cards on the box art are probably on, you know, Creative Commons, open to anybody who wants to use them. Um, So, yeah, I I would agree. I I don't think the art is all that interesting. However, the way the board is laid out for what to do when you settle an issue, like there are nice big numbers to put you through the steps for each one, uh, which is really nice. And sometimes war games can, like, you know, there there are small cardboard chits. But the spaces they go in are rather large. Mm-hmm. So sometimes war games have this problem where there's tiny chits and tiny spaces, and you're trying to cram as much mm-hmm. as you can into those spaces. And it's really like there are people who play some of these games with like tweezers. Oh. Not a joke. Wow. So I appreciate that. I feel like the board size is the board size in order to facilitate a lot of stuff kind of on the on the board almost. So um, mechanics. I, I am very much enjoying the card-based play. I don't know if this was much of the card-based play, though. No. Like, when we played Shores of Tripoli, like, that was yes. very much like, I play cards to do my actions. Right. The, the choices on the cards, I, I thought it was interesting that, you know, I felt like all of the cards that we won usually had more than, like, if it had more than one option usually there was more than one good option for you. Right. And I could see where the negotiation pieces would come in. The, the uprising bit was a little bit random, but the be, being able to use the military to kind of bring that down a little bit was uh, was nice. Um, but yeah, I don't think there were any kind of like crazy mechanics. Um, yeah. No. I, I will say I did not like... I, I don't think this game is designed for two players. And I feel like I read that somewhere. Yeah. This game definitely needs more than two players. I, I think solo, it's probably okay solo because they've probably got some 
like I would expect that a game like this that is solo is going to have a lot of upkeep. I feel like we had a lot of upkeep and then trying to remember like we were even passing a card back yeah, and right, forth because we were getting confused. We were getting confused to denote. So like I really did not like the like dummy player person. I, I felt like the way they had it set up where you got to like everybody got to play Amer- the US the way they wanted to. So you could play it to your advantage. Like that was good where it was like, it didn't feel like it hurt you that much. Right. You can use it to your benefit. So to, to think about that mechanic as tying into the theme, I feel like that is very realistic to the idea of the negotiations at the table, right? Because Woodrow Wilson came in this U.S. diplomat, very naive, and most historians would agree with that term, to European politics, right? And to realpolitik, especially, right, from the 19th century. That was still very much at the table, pun intended, right, by the time they were doing these. And so that idea of getting to manipulate as two European powers, right, the newcomer, I think, fit in and helped to fit in. But yes, is it clunky? Absolutely. Yeah, thematically, I thought it worked. Gameplay wise, right. I hated. Sure, did not like it. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, rules? How was it learning okay. the game? <sighs> I think it took us a hot minute. Yeah, it took us a hot minute. I think once we got Two about halfway rounds? through, like we were chugging along. Like the, I mean, the iconography is nice because it's not like it's yeah, very it's easy winning. to figure out. It, yeah, it's big. It's it's easy to figure out. It's it's pretty. It, you know, it's it laid out fairly well. I just think like there's so much complexity into it too much, but yeah, it's complex. It's, it's a Euro game. It's not easy strategy wise, or even like, you're not going to pull this out for someone who's new to gaming and be like, ha ha. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I I think, uh, yeah. The the rule book, uh, is laid out fine. It's laid out like every other war game where it's like, these are the, you know, Rule one, movement. Rule 1.1, ocean movement. Mm -hmm. Like, that's how the rule book is laid out. But I think every time I needed to look for something, I was able to find it quickly. And I don't think we were looking for stuff uh, too much. Again, my biggest complaint is the dummy player for two players. I would say that this game should be three to four with solo rules is what it's designed for. Mm -hmm. Um, Player interaction. I mean, yes, because you wanted, I mean, if it's an issue you cared about and there's negotiations um, and it moved so quickly. So I'm not going to say you completely, you know, space out. You do need to pay attention, but it's also not, it's not a true two player where you're competing directly against each other. I mean, you are, but there's this third kind of intervention that you're also trying to control. Yeah, and this is what I alluded to before with the kind of the dummy player. Like, I think this is a worker placement game, like when you dumb it all down to its like basis things, and it's the same type of play interaction that you have with most worker placement games, which is you went to the spot that I wanted to go to, Mm -hmm. but there's enough options where I could go somewhere Mm -hmm. else. So like that's where the interaction comes from. But I think, again, that goes back to it was we played it a two-player game for a game that at this point I think we're both agreeing is not a Mm two-player game. Um, I think if you had more people around the table, 
the happiness was shifting all over the place, you'd have a lot more negotiations with, hey, if you settle this issue, you know, I'll give you, I'll do this next time or, you know, something along those lines. Mm -hmm. So I think that's where more of the player interaction would go to. Um, so yeah, I, I didn't think, I felt like we didn't have a whole lot sure. with just two players. Um, so would you play it again? I would just because I really want to try to like it more. I would really love to play it with more people to see how it plays then. I am 100% with you on that. Okay. I think I do not want to play it again at two players. Mm -hmm. I think it was too much to do and keep track of mm -hmm. and uh, upkeep for what it should have been at two players. If we play it again, I want it to be at three or four to see if, again, I agree, to see mm -hmm. if it changes the dynamic, if the game is different. Mm -hmm. um, but I have a concern that it's not as good as we think it was supposed <laughs> to be. I, I, I don't think it lived up to the hype that I think we both had in going our head it, going yeah. into it. Yeah. So that's what I think. But I'm hoping that's because we played it at two players and it really needs to be more than that, which is, could be a problem because we generally play games at just two players. In this so, household. In this house. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so that was uh, Versailles 1919. Versailles 1919. So if you have any recommendations uh, that you would like to hear our opinions on or impressions on, just send them our way. Uh, you can do so. Uh, we are at the Gmail First Turn Tabletop or Twitter and Instagram First Turn Cast. Uh, and the podcasting camel, he's just gonna he's gonna like shimmy up there in the uh, if you haven't seen it, the classical picture of the Big Four for 1919. He's gonna shimmy right in between uh, Prime Minister Orlando and Clemenceau. And he is just going to say, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcatchers. We look forward to hearing from you. Play more games. Or as we might say in Kentucky, for sales, 1919. Oh my God, you didn't. Yep. There really is a Versailles, Kentucky. I know, but...